Welcome to the SAMA Podcast, where we talk to the most experienced people in B2B to find answers to one simple question. How can you become and remain essential to your strategic customers? Tune in as our guests reveal what it takes to become the supplier they cannot afford to lose. Learn how to level up your account management strategies to promptly deliver speed, convenience, and success to each customer. Let's jump into the discussion right now with Denise Fryer and Harvey Dunham. Hello, SAMA community. I'm Denise Fryer, President and CEO of SAMA, and I'm really delighted for today's episode as we have a very special guest speaking about a very important topic to all of us. Today, we will be talking about the extraordinary SAM, how to build stronger customer and client relationships through the lens of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Yet our topic today goes further. It's about being extraordinary in whatever you do every day, how you can show up as the best version of yourself with your clients, your families, your colleagues, and anyone that you might have relationships with. Now, to share his insights about all of this and more, I'm pleased to be here with Joe Machicotti from Premier Inc. Premier is a healthcare improvement company that unites and all alliances of U.S. hospitals, health systems, providers, other organizations, and they actually feature one of the most comprehensive databases of actionable data clinical best practices and strategies on to improve efficiency. They've been a wonderful partner with SAMA for many years. But now let me tell you a little bit about Joe. As Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer, he partners with the CEO of Premier, the executive team, human resources, and other stakeholders across Premier. Joe is responsible for enhancing and formalizing a culture of diversity inclusion, and belonging within the company, as well as creating an expansive and far-reaching vision and strategic plan. Joe serves as the organizational leader in the company to drive the development and the implementation and even the integration of best practices, resources, and trends around diversity, equity, inclusion, and cultural proficiency. And he serves as Premier's spokesperson on matters related to diversity and inclusion. Now, Joe is also a personal leadership coach, an accomplished speaker and author. I'm delighted to have him here today to share some of the personal stories he has and recommendations on being extraordinary and building these strong relationships. So welcome, Joe. Thank you so, so much, Denise. I'm really honored to be here. And thank you guys for inviting me to speak to your Sams today. We are delighted for this topic. And so let's get right into it. So Joe, tell us a little bit about your story. You've shared with me that you strive to be extraordinary. So what does that mean? Yeah, so first I'll start by saying that extraordinary is a journey, it's not a destination. So as we wake up each morning, there's a reminder um, that we have to that says, how am I going to be experienced today? So it's literally something that once we adopt a particular mindset, all of our behaviors action themselves through. Now, why that became so important to me is that there was a time in my life and my career 
where I was truly unaware of my impact on others. And not only in my professional life, but in my personal life. And in my personal life, I met my late wife in high school. And her and I, we had an amazing relationship for a number of years. We had two boys together. And in 2007, she was diagnosed with something called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which changed our lives. And she wound up losing about 60% of her mobility because it attacks the nervous system. And when this happened, she was in the hospital for about a year. And I had a realization that life was going to change for all of us. And I really needed to be the best person I could possibly be for her. Because both of us were in our 40s at the time. And all of a sudden, I've got a, a wife that I've now become a caregiver to. So it was an instant wake-up call that the way that I was being experienced, because I didn't handle the change well, I blamed her illness on her. I blamed it on our children. I blamed it on the doctors. I blamed it on everyone. And I was not performing as my best self. So that was the beginning of my journey. Got myself an executive coach. And I started asking others, how do you experience me on a regular basis? Well, life started to get really good. And while we were in a new place, it was different. And we had to experience each other very differently. And our whole relationship changed and became better. Well, in 2010, things were kind of getting into our new flow. We're accepting the change in our life. And she got diagnosed with cancer. And at that moment, I realized that my behavior started to go backwards again. But this time I had a new tool and I was able to catch myself and say, you know what, this is absolutely not acceptable. So while the doctors, once they caught the cancer, gave her about four months to live, I think our positivity and our relationship actually expanded that to 18 months. And, and she was with us for an additional 18 months. And it was some of the best times in our marriage. And as I look back on that, one of the things that I did was wrote down, how do I want to be experienced by my wife, my children, others? How do I want to be experienced at work? And that became my life plan. And that's what I've called extraordinary. And it all goes back to something my mother taught me when we were growing up. And she said, leave everything a little bit better than you found it. Now, when mom said that, I'm sure she was talking about pushing the chair in when you leave the table, putting the toilet seat down when you're done. But for me, I took it to the next level, which is wake up in the morning and change your mindset to leave everything and everyone a little bit better than you found it. So even in a difficult conversation, my goal is to leave people better than I found them. So that became the beginning of what I now teach and around being extraordinary. And for those of you, if you want a quick way to think about it, imagine that there's someone at work, and I'm sure everyone has this experience. There's someone at work where you drive up into the parking lot and you see that person's car and you think to yourself, oh boy, they're here today. Or in the remote world, you're looking at who's going to be a participant in the meeting and you see that name. Right. And we've all had that experience that we know that the experience is going to be less than stellar, maybe with this particular individual. But the challenge that I want you all to think about right now is what if Denise and I, while we were having this conversation and in our mind's eye, we were thinking about that person. Maybe if we asked someone else, what if when I asked that question, that person was thinking of you? What if you are that person? 
And what are you going to intentionally do to think about what your list of extraordinary really is? Do you want to be the person that when I see your car, I think negative thoughts? Or when I see your name on a meeting, I think negative thoughts. So it's really important for us to adopt a particular mindset. And that's kind of my story and how I got to this place. So great question. Thank you. They are amazing ideas and stories, but also very heartbreaking. So my heart goes out to you and what you had to experience and how brave it was for you to actually ask people, how are they experiencing you? I don't know if all of us would go off and do that. And so checking your mindset every morning is a great thought. Now, I've also heard in our previous conversations, you mentioned the term cultural engineer. So talk a little bit about what that means to you and how it helps you become passionate in the work you do. Yeah, well, there's no company in the world that writes their mission statement and their vision and their values. And some of the values say, yeah, you know what? We're going to strive to be awful people. Like nobody has that written in their values. But what we do is we write these amazing things and we put them on the wall. But in a lot of cases, there's not a way to actually hold people accountable for what that is. So to me, cultural engineering is about making the organizational culture as critical a strategic piece of the business as accounting or marketing or any of the other pieces. There's truth to that saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. It doesn't matter what your strategy is. If people don't know how to wake up in the morning and interact and play well with each other, your strategy just, it's all chewed up. It's not driving what you would want it to drive. We all know that when people have a positive mindset, positive things happen. And when people have a negative mindset, well, that's when things begin to explode and blow up and we can't figure out why. And 90% of the time, it has something to do with the culture that you're engaged in. And we know that if you're not having a great time at work, and I'm not talking about great days because we all have bad days, but if the culture is such that you don't enjoy working there, there's no way you can deliver it. And as a Sam, it's so important to not only love your product, but love where your product is coming from and love the mission and the values behind why that product exists. And we all know that when we go out there and we try to sell and we love and know our product, it's so much easier to do instead of selling something that we don't connect to. So cultural engineering is about that. It's about raising the level of intentionality around culture is actually a business driver. So let's focus on it. Let's be intentional about it and let's make a plan for it. And that plan begins with each of us as an individual to show up because we can't control anything on this planet except ourselves. If you have a spouse, if you have a dog, if you have a child, guess what? You're not in control of any of those. Give it up. The only thing you can control is yourself. So what if we had a population of people that understand that the mission, the vision, and value starts with each one of them? It's not for the company to own. The company did a great job of writing it on the wall. It's up to each of us to own it and be intentional about the way we execute against that mission, vision, and strategy. I just love that. And I love the phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast, because it's so true. And I bet you we've all had that experience. 
and really what that culture needs to be. Do you have a cultural model, I think, that you've mentioned on how somebody might go about doing this? Yes, absolutely. So I gave a little bit of it away in my last answer, but there are three realms of leadership and culture. And number one, it's self, it's team, and it's culture. And number one, you have to start by leading yourself. Leading yourself leads into leading the team, and leading the team leads into leading the culture. But if you notice, it's got to start with yourself. Now, not only does it start with yourself, but as you begin to think about the second part of that, leading the team, how are you holding one another accountable for the way you're showing up and the way that you're being experienced? So we just had the Super Bowl. And one of the things that in my work and in my research, and you can tell I'm obviously very passionate about this, and human interaction is so critical to the success of any organization. When I was watching the Super Bowl, it dawned on me that the conversations, because Super Bowl is one game. For us, it's a couple of hours. For these teams, they have spent hours and hours together. And what does it take for the relationships? What's the quality of those relationships? What's the quality of the communication that they have to share? Kind of real talk communication about what's going right, what's going wrong, and not holding back and being able to say, how do we show up as our best selves every single time? These conversations are in practice. They're in the locker room. What we get to see at the Super Bowl is the final output. And these two teams were so good at it that they literally, every time a team had the ball, they were pretty much scoring to the point where what won the game was finally who kicked the field goal first with the least amount of time left on the clock. Because to me, it was a tie. The tiebreaker was the field goal kick. That's the way extraordinary high-performing teams work when you have a bunch of individuals that are all committed to the same goal, have those same conversations, same communications, and they all drive towards the same outcome. So it was just a masterclass in exactly what I'm talking about. Extraordinary individual, extraordinary team, extraordinary culture. Boom. It works every single time. And it was a great game, and it's a great example of what happened. When I think about it, there is nothing more true than Sam being a team sport. You absolutely must pull together the people you work with, the people who you work for, the people who might work for you and your client, and it is completely team-based. And I think these are good nuggets for us to how can we help each other stay Mm -hmm. in that mindset? Speaking about that in the SAMs, are there competencies that you see that actually make a SAM more apt to be extraordinary? Yes, absolutely. Well, number one, it has to start with self-awareness. And you alluded to that after I shared that piece around feedback, is having the courage to be able to accept feedback. Another high-performing team is the Blue Angels, and they're this amazing flight team, and they do these unbelievable acts in the sky with expensive, very heavy planes flying really fast. So you think about what is extraordinary about each one of those particular pilots and their ability to be self-aware and have the type of communication to ask for feedback. So one of the things in my research that I've done with that flight team, as well as the Thunderbirds from the Air Force, is they have a pre-flight mission brief and they have a debrief when they get back on the ground. And in that debrief, they go into a room and all of the titles sit outside the door. 
And what they do is they talk about what went right and what went wrong. And they give the full information. So communication is a big part of this. We have a tendency, when we communicate with people, we give them 90% of all the stuff they want to hear. And sometimes we hold back that last 10%, which is the hard stuff because we're afraid we might offend somebody or they may feel bad or they may see you in a different light. But what if we create an environment where we're able to say these things with an environment of safety and trust where we all have a particular mindset that says, hey, the reason we're getting this feedback is because we're trying to make each other better. So I would say the first competency is self-awareness. The second one is how we communicate. How do you have real or straight talk communications that are, and it's not straight talk like you're trying to beat everyone up with it. It's straight talk in such a way that you can deliver information, but you can also hear information too. So it's two-way communication. So that is a critical competency is the two-way communication skills. I said this before, another competency is believing in the mission of your company and your product. Competency number four would be integrity, doing what you say you're going to do, because that helps to build trust. During this podcast, if you're listening with a pen and paper, you want to jot this down because this is the formula that will save who you are and make you an incredible, extraordinary Sam, is to understand that respect plus trust equals influence. R plus T equals I. Because when people respect you and trust you, you've earned the right to influence them. If any of those two pieces are missing, respect or trust, good luck trying to influence them. So having that integrity competency is critical. And then finally, the last competency I would say is change capability. Your ability to change. Change is hard. Think about the last time you moved from one home to another. That wasn't easy. Seemed like a good idea at the time, but in the middle of it, it's painful. But the great thing about change is ultimately you get to a better place. And we tend to forget that when we're going through the hard part of change. So as a Sam, you're going to deal with change all the time. Just having conversations with your customers, having conversations with your teams are exercises in change. The best self that you bring and the best team that you bring helps to make that change actually go smoother. That is incredible and so true. I want to tell our audience here, we will be publishing the transcript of this. So if you've missed some of those key points, they will be out there for all of us to review and go back to. So I so, so much appreciate and respect the comments you've just made to us. So let me bring this closer to now diversity, equity, and inclusion. And how do you see this all play together in that? It's so interesting. There's so many different mindsets and experiences that lead us to think differently about the definitions between diver- of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I think our society has so much focus on what those definitions are. So we get into conversations about race, all of the isms, racism, sexism, all of those things. And we have such a negative spin and connotation to all of those things. And no matter where you sit, you've got a very strong opinion of it. For me, that's kind of the content. When we look at what the context of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is, what it says is, number one, how are we creating the most high-performing team we can possibly have that is equitable, an environment of inclusion that also makes you feel like you belong there? And what makes all of that happen 
is dividing ourselves or having those conversations about racism, sexism, and everything else. It's having conversations about dignity and respect. Do you wake up every morning thinking, how am I going to leave individuals better than I found them? And it shouldn't matter what that individual's background and everything else is. So we have to start with the contextual conversation of is where I work is in my life. Do we start with just plain old dignity and respect? Do we speak to each other like we're human beings? And all of those other pieces now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have the conversations about those things, but those are the secondary conversations. Because if you don't have dignity and respect, those conversations are going to be really hard. So how do we start first with how do we get together as a team? And again, it has to start with the self, then it goes to the team, and then it goes to the culture. So what are we responsible for? So when I think about cultural engineering and DEIB, you've got to start with the contextual culture. Do we have dignity and respect? DEIB programs, they will all fail if you don't have at minimal that. It is so true. And it is such a great way of summarizing all of the inequities we have in the world to just have some dignity and respect, no matter who it is that you're talking to. How does somebody, a SAM or a SAM leader, actually get their organization involved, right? How do we move this forward to create that culture? The conversation has to start there. And we have a tendency in our organizations to feel like somehow it should start at the top of the organization because as go the leader, so goes the organization. But we've got to develop the courage to have conversations around, hey, you know what? Here's the stuff that's written on the wall. How are we actually living that? Like, is there truth in all of these values that we've put up on the wall? And if there is, how have we intentionally worked to holding people accountable for living those values? Because as I said, there's no company in the world that writes bad values. All the values are wonderful. You can almost hear light music playing behind it as you read the values on the wall. But if we're not holding people accountable, but in each organization, you have to start with your own personal behavior. How are you living the value? Because again, what I said was high-performing teams starts with a bunch of high-performing individuals that have each made the choice to be high-performing. So before looking at how everybody else is living the values, you've got a question for yourself first. How am I living the values? So as we bring that conversation forward, I think speaking to leaders, speaking to your teammates, try and fix your little area of the world. I'll tell you a funny quote. So once again, from the greatest philosopher in my life and in the world, my mom, she said to me, hey, if you want to get the whole neighborhood clean, you got to start by sweeping in front of your own house. You've got to set the example. And once you set the example and you can bring that to your first circle of influence and then your second circle of influence, that's the way these things begin to grow. And then it actually becomes like a movement, but it's got to start with individuals. It certainly does. And I think the word that you used that is so important is intentional here. I can see a bunch of us, let's make appointments with our leaders, with our CEOs and talk about, are we intentionally putting forth these values and executing individually. So great advice to all of us. Joe, it's been amazing, but I want to give you the chance to make any final comments, any last words of wisdom that we can leave with the group today. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think some critical steps that you would want to take with you on this. We planned a little bit of this, but we couldn't have planned your last statement any better. To sit down and actually be intentional. And what I would say is very similarly to what I did when I realized my life had to change with my relationship with my wife and my family, is to sit down and create a leadership journal. In that leadership journal, we all have different sayings and quotes and things like that we try to live by. And every time we hear it, we're like, oh yeah, I love that quote. If you're saying, oh yeah, it means that it's not something that's intentional. It's something that kind of flew into your life. You liked it, but you're not really living by it. So what if you created a leadership journal where you capture these things and start journaling, not how you've lived your life, but how you want to live your life. Capture those pieces and actually write them down as your plan. I have a journal. It's got to have at least 20 different pieces in it for the way that I live my life. And uh, you wonder that when I share it with my mentees and people that I coach, they laugh a little bit. They're like, Joe, what does it mean? And the one that I love that seems to raise the most eyebrows is no one can take your birthday away. And that means that no matter how bad things go in a particular day or what you're doing, allow yourself the ability to be gentle with yourself and allow yourself to make mistakes and learn from the mistakes. Because at the end of the day, nobody's going to take your birthday away because you made a mistake. So just living to your highest potential and realizing that sometimes you're going to trip. So it's one of my favorites. Nobody can take my birthday away. I may mess up today, but you know what? I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to speak with my children. I'm going to watch some Netflix. I'm going to hold my wife's hand and, and I'm going to move on because no one was able to take my birthday away. So take that time to write down what you're committed to in order to be an extraordinary human being. And this is going to play into not only your work life with your team, this is also going to be reflective of your customers because guess what? You're going to have some tough customers and you're going to have some tough conversations. And it's important that even after a tough customer conversation that you realize, hey, nobody can take your birthday away. But what you did was give the best of yourself. You gave your best effort, your best energy, and make sure that you're committing to that on a regular basis. That is going to make you an extraordinary Sam in not only your personal relationships, but your professional relationships as well. That is just awesome. And I have a page of notes of things that I would walk away with. And I guess I would leave this by reminding everybody of the formula that you shared with us that respect plus trust equal influence. Let's keep that in our hearts. So Joe, thank you so much. It's been an amazing conversation. I think for all of us, these tips and the life lessons can certainly help us become the best version of ourselves because it is personal. It starts with each and every one of us. And I know that you, Joe, and the entire Premier organization live up to these beliefs. And we can all learn from your example here. If any of you want to explore the ideas further, please reach out to us at SAMA. We're happy to connect you with Joe and with others to explore additional actions that you can take to become extraordinary. Thank you for joining us and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Denise. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope today's wisdom will lead you down the path of experiencing success in your profession. Remember, 
The key to successful strategic account management is discovering where your customer wants to go and helping them get there. Subscribe to our podcasts at strategicaccounts.org. We hope you'll leave a positive rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If there's something we can do to improve our podcasts, please let us know. That's all for today. See you on the next one. Thank you.